Um, We're starting a new series of messages today about questions. And so I was reading uh, this week a study that happened in the United Kingdom about questions. And what they discovered is they wanted to know who has the most questions asked of them every day. And they went to professions. They went to different areas. And what they discovered is that by far the person that has the most questions asked of them on any particular day are moms. Can I get an amen from the moms in the house? They're asked more questions every hour than a school teacher who gets about 19 an hour. Doctors and nurses who get about 18 an hour. It also discovered that four-year-old girls ask more questions than anybody else. They ask around 390 questions a day or a question every minute and 56 seconds. They are awake. All right. From breakfast till time for bed, the average mom faces 12 and a half hours of questioning with a question coming every two minutes and 36 seconds. Eighty two percent of infants go to their mom with questions before their dad. In the survey, 24% of the kids said the reason they do that is because they ask their dad a question. He often just says, go ask your mom. In all, a mom on average gets around 105,000 questions a year. They found that, again, four-year-old girls ask the most questions, but on the other end of the spectrum are nine-year-old boys. They only ask 144 questions per day or one every five minutes and 12 seconds, but their questions are harder than the four-year-old's questions, and it takes just as much effort. They asked, so what are your five most difficult questions? Number five was, how do fish breathe underwater? Mom said they weren't prepared to give a full explanation of gills. Number four, why is the sky blue? Three, what are shadows made of? Two, where does the sky end? And number one, why is water wet? (laughs) All right. So over the next few weeks, in fact, from now until the end of May, we're going to be walking through a series of messages called Can I Ask That? And the questions for this series come specifically from you. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about it. By the way, it is still time to do that. If you want to ask a question on the end of some pews, our still sheets that say, can I ask that out back at the little box where you can put them in are some sheets that say, can I ask that? You can still put questions in. Time is still there to submit. But over the next few weeks, we're going to take questions that you're asking, questions that you want to know, and we're going to talk through them. And today's we're going to take a topic that was one of the most popular in the questions that were asked from a variety of angles. It was asked from a different angle almost every time that it was something around this. For instance, somebody asked this. After seeking God's direction, how can you tell whether the impression or answer you have is from the Holy Spirit or just your own thought? Somebody else asked, how can we know God is speaking to us? How do we hear from God? Someone else asked... Are there ways that we can prepare ourselves to hear from God better than others? So we're going to talk about that today. How do we hear from God and how do we know when we hear something that it's actually from him? I mean, the Bible is full of examples of God speaking to people. God directly speaking or through supernatural means speaking to people over and over and over again. 
The problem is that we look around today and say, is God still doing that? Is he still speaking that way? Is he still talking like he did? And I believe, and we're going to talk about this out of the book of Habakkuk in just a minute. I believe that God is still speaking today and he's speaking just as much as he's ever spoken. I think the difference is we're just not tuned in to what he's saying. And so, for instance, um, I was thinking about this. When I was growing up, my mom and dad were both factory workers. We, we had plenty. We weren't poor by any means, but we didn't have, like, luxury items. In fact, my dad always drove an old vehicle. He's still driving an old vehicle. Right now, he's driving a Nissan pickup truck from the early 90s that he got T-boned in and just took the insurance money and kept on driving it, all right? He, he literally, this is my dad, literally put Band-Aids on the vehicle after it got hit and drove it around like that much to the distraught of my mom. All right. I mean, they're frugal people. My dad's a frugal person. He doesn't go out and just spend a lot of money. But one thing he always spent money on is a big TV. We always had a big TV in our house. We had a big living room because dad wanted people over to watch games. And so we always had a big TV and he called me. This has been a few years ago now. And the big TV we had had gone out. And he was getting him a new TV, and he was asking my expertise on the new flat screen stuff that was coming out. And I said, I told him, we got it. We went to his house. I was excited because they got an HD big screen TV. They put it in their living room. It's really going to be cool. And I got there, and he said, here's the problem. I really can't tell any difference in this picture. There's no difference between my old TV and this one. In fact, it looks like stretched out and weird. And I went through the settings, first of all, to get it to where it's not stretched out and weird. But then I noticed, I said, Dad, did you call the cable company and get a new box when you got the TV? He's like, no, I just used the box we had, just plugged it up and it worked. And I said, Dad, you realize your box does not receive an HD TV signal. That you're using standard television, you're not getting high definition. We got it all worked out. And he was like, oh, so that makes the difference in the picture, right? He didn't have what he needed to receive it. Now, on HDTV, that's not a big deal. But when it comes to hearing from God, if we don't receive the message he's given, that's a problem. Scripture tells us that it's important for us to hear from God because first, it proves you're a child of God. It says that my sheep hear my voice. It says he who belongs to God hears God's voice. And I'll just say this to you lovingly, as, as lovingly as I can. If you've not heard the voice of God in your life, you need to ask the question of whether you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Because to not hear his voice means that you don't know him as savior, according to scripture. His voice will protect us from mistakes. His voice will lead us to a productive life for his glory. We know God wants to speak to us because he cares about us. He cares about every detail of our lives. Scripture says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's got them all counted. For some of you, that's much easier than for others. God knows every hair on your head. He knows the original color of the hair. On your head. I almost didn't say that one, but I went with it, all right? He knows how much of your hair fell out in the sink this morning. There's nothing in your life. And the point of that is not just for you to go, wow, God knows the number of hairs on my head. The point is he knows every detail of your life. And the reason he does that is because he loves you. He cares about you. God loves you. And he wants you to hear from him. God loves you. Like nobody else loves you. 
It's unconditional. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on, on what you did yesterday. It's not based on what you will do. God loves you based on his character, not on your conduct. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. And God will never love you less than he loves you right now. God loves you. And because he loves you, he wants to communicate with you and help you. He loves you on your good days. He loves you on your bad days. He loves you when you think you deserve it. And he loves you when you think you don't. He loves you when you feel his love. And he loves you when you don't feel his love. You can't make God stop loving you. He does. And because he does, he wants to communicate with us. He wants to answer our questions, our confusions, our quandaries, our problems. God wants to answer it. James 1, 5 and 6 says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. That's a novel thing, isn't it? If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he'll tell you. For he's always ready to give wisdom to those who ask him. You have to ask in faith without doubt. God is not playing games. He wants to tell you. But in the book of Habakkuk, it tells us how he positions us. That Take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Some of you are like, uh-oh, where's Habakkuk, all right? Capable of contents is in the front of most of your Bibles. If you've got an app, it's in there. It's in the Minor Prophets, close to the New Testament, one of the last few books of the Old Testament. And I teach you, I talk about this sometimes, I want to talk out of books like Habakkuk because it's going to be really embarrassing if you get to heaven and Habakkuk asks you about his book and you've not read it before, all right? And so I want you to know about that. I want you to understand this. And the book of Habakkuk is an interesting book because the prophets usually start by saying, and God said, and the Lord said. But Habakkuk's different because the book of Habakkuk doesn't start with the Lord said. The book of Habakkuk starts with Habakkuk saying, God, I've got some questions. I've got some specific questions I need to ask and I need answers to. He asks six specific questions. Questions, very specific questions. He goes to the Lord and you can go back and read these later and says, God, these are the things that I want to know from you. I need to ask from you. I need to know now. Here are my questions. And in Habakkuk chapter two, after he's asked the questions, he gives us the model of how we can hear from God, how we can prepare our hearts to hear from God. Habakkuk chapter two, starting in verse one, says this. And I will stand at my guard posts and station myself on the lookout tower. So he's asked all the questions of God. And then he says, all right, God, I'm going to stand at my guard post. I'm going to station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And then God responds. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. In these two short verses, he gives us a picture of what it would look like to pull ourselves into a place where we can hear from God. The first thing is this. He tells us to withdraw. To pull away. To pull back. One of the reasons I love Glow Weekend, one of the reasons I love events like Glow, is because it allows our young people in some ways to withdraw from the normalcy of their lives, of what they do on a daily basis, and to surround themselves with other people that are looking towards God. And my guess is, even though they are weary and tired and fighting sleep at this moment, 
that they have had a weekend where God has said some things to their heart through speaking, through their times in small groups, through scripture, that would not have happened if they had not withdrawn from their normal lives and come to this. And as adults, we need to take that practice of withdrawing. It's easy when you're a youth and the youth group schedules a weekend to get away and to hear from God. Or to hear a camp week where you're going for youth camp. You're going to generate or you're going to center kid. It's easy to say, man, I'm going on that. And you kind of get volunteered or you choose because it's fun to pull away for a week and just spend some time. And they say, what, how do you see withdrawal here in this passage? Well, he says, I will stand at my guard post and understand this. It's a Hebrew expression there that means he's going to get alone. Now, he may have actually gone to his guard post. He may have gone to his watchtower. But the reality is, if he did that, he was by himself. He was alone. You can't hear God's voice if you've got earbuds in your ear all the time. If you're always listening to something else, listening to somebody else, watching other things, being involved in everything else. If you're always surrounded by noise, you can't hear from God. I was reading one of my one of the guys that I love to read is a guy named John Ortberg. And John Ortberg's a pastor out on the West Coast in California. John Ortberg tells the story that when he was a young pastor, he wrote as a young pastor to this pastor he really admired and said, What one piece of advice would you give me for the development of my spiritual life? And he wrote back to John Ortberg and he said one thing, and then this is all it said. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, hurry is still an issue for many of us in this room, for many of us parents, many of us as families. Hurry is an issue. But I think that if we were writing today, if that guy were writing today, he would change the word hurry in there because I think there is a larger problem for our society than just hurry. And instead of ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he would say, especially to our young people, especially to people in my generation and younger, ruthlessly eliminate distraction from your life. We are distracted people. The Bible says that Jesus often pulled himself aside by himself to a lonely place and pray. The word is used so much that it's an understanding that it was a habit of Jesus. What's your habit of getting distraction out of your life? Completely away from distraction. No TV, no phone, just you. Perhaps God's word in a solitary place. You know, Pastor, you don't know my life. I got a good idea. Four kids, school, work. I understand that. I also understand that this generation, these youth, are going to deal with this much more than we ever did. Because they're just dealing with it younger. Not that we aren't dealing with it now, but it's been a part of their lives to leave distraction free their entire lives. The first thing we do is we withdraw. Secondly, we wait. He says that right there, right? I will stand at my guard post. I will station myself. The word there literally means I will not move a muscle. I will be here waiting on you. He's going to calm his thoughts. He's going to calm his emotions. I will station myself. I will not move. I will calm down. I will be still and know that the Lord is God. Someone has said that hurry is the death of prayer. God, I need to talk to you, but I'm going to need the answer real quickly because I got somewhere to be in about 15 minutes. 
You're not going to hear from God. Now, I'm not talking here, by the way, when I'm talking about positioning yourself to hear from God, I'm not talking about small decisions like, do I need to go to McDonald's or Wendy's for lunch? Okay. What I'm talking about here are those moments in your life when you need a word from the Lord. What job am I going to take? What's the direction of my life? What classes am I going to go into? What am I going to do in my career path? What am I going to do for my family? How do I make a decision about where we're going with this? Or how I'm going to spend my time there? Or I'm going to invest my money here? Like those big moments of your life, you withdraw and you wait. I think about the lady that came and touched the hem of the garment of Jesus who waited years for the Lord to answer her prayers to be healed. And I think about the number of times in my life when when God doesn't answer in half a day, I get upset. And I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm waiting. Third thing. Read his word. Read the Bible. Find yourself alone. Wait and read God's word. Look what happens here in uh In Habakkuk, he says, I will watch and see what he will say to me. Now, that's an interesting phrase because he says, basically, I'm going to watch to see what he says. Now, how do you usually respond to that? I will what to see what he says. I will listen to hear what he says. But he says, I'll watch. And what he means is God's going to answer. God's going to do something. Now, Habakkuk would see that. Habakkuk would witness that. But in our day and time, we have seen the answer to Habakkuk's questions. We have seen the answer to every question in the person of Jesus. And we know that he has answered that question. And he has given us the New Testament. He has spoken to us through it. In fact, we have the privilege of something that no generation has had until recent history of having God's word communicated to us in our hands, ready to read at any moment. And it is called the word of God. It's because it is the communication of God to the world and specifically to his people. And if you're wanting to know whether God still speaks, stop looking for a sign and start reading his word. So after you withdraw and after you calm yourselves and wait and after you read, then you look to see what the Lord would say and you write it down. Write it down in notes. It doesn't have to be in a fancy journal. It doesn't have to be in a a fancy something you've got there. Just write down what's there. When God reveals something to it, write it down. Because as you write it down, you're putting it into words. You're saying what you think God is speaking to. You're saying what God is telling you to do. And then you can test it. The reality is we're still fallible human beings and we need to test what God has said. So when this person asks, how can we tell whether the impression we have is an answer from the Holy Spirit or just our own thought? There are some steps to take to find out. Is this what God means for me? How do we know if an idea came from God? How do we know if it came from the enemy? How do we know? I mean, I've had some bad false impressions after a night of bad burritos. All right. So let me give you just a couple of questions, four questions, and then we're going to be done. Okay. How do I know if it's from God's word? First of all, is it consistent with the Bible? Heaven and earth will pass away, the Bible says, but my word will never pass away. The Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. If you think God is telling you to do something or to take an action or to to have a direction in your life, it has to line up with the word of God. If it doesn't. You're wrong. If you think you have an idea and I'm not talking about one verse. I'm not talking about one verse that you find somewhere that proves that it's okay to do what you think you need to do. 
I heard a pastor this week in Australia tell an example of a guy who came to him and the guy had 11 kids happily married or so he thought. And he came to the pastor and told him he had had an affair. The pastor said, why did you do that? And he said, well, God spoke to me and said, it's okay." And he said, now, how did God do that? He said, he pointed me to the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the pastor said, that's not what it means. This is why. Bible study and understanding correctly is so important. Because it is to be the guidebook for how we live our lives. And it must be that whatever God has said, he will not contradict his word. Secondly, will it make me more like Jesus? Is the direction I'm going, the decision I'm making, the action I'm taking, what I think is from God, is it going to make me more like Jesus? The whole point of our lives is to be morphed into, changed into, made into the likeness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate standard. So if I'm going to make you more like Christ, then it's something that can help us along the way. Sometimes, um, I remember several years ago, I was having a conversation with a young couple that were in college age and they were dating each other. And they, uh, and they just said, we just want to make sure that they were talking to me. It wasn't really like a counseling or we're just having a conversation. They're like, we just want to make sure that, that, that this is right, that this is supposed to be. And I said, well, here's what I would just encourage you. That as long as your relationship is leading both of you to be more like Jesus, then it's a good relationship. The moment that relationships begins to pull you away from Jesus, then you got questions you need to ask. That's just a different standard for dating than most people have. Right? I won't ask you about your dating with your spouse, but I'm just saying that most people, that's not what they generally think. If this is making me more like Jesus, it's good. Is it consistent with the Bible? Will it make me more like Jesus? Third, Does my church family confirm it? It's vital to be part of a church family. It's vital to be part of small groups, the group of Bible studies, Sunday school. And part of the reason of that is so that when you get an idea, so that when you get an understanding, so that when you begin to feel God is pulling you in a direction, you can run it through the lens of other Christian brothers and sisters that are living out a Christian worldview and say, what do you think? And by the way, if you're reading the Bible and you get an impression or an interpretation that nobody else in 2,000 years of church history has gotten, you're wrong. Okay? Christianity has never had, you know, this, man, it must be what God is leading me to do. No. If it's true, it's not new. Truth is eternal. Interpretation of that has been gone over by scholars and people much smarter than any of us in this room for generations. And by now, the truth of the church has come. Being part of a church family is critical because you can always find somebody that will tell you, you just live your life. I think what your decision is making is probably biblical. You're good. In the Bible, there's a guy named Ahab. He's a king and he wants to know whether he needs to go to war. And he consults 400 prophets and they all tell him exactly what he wants to hear. And there was one that does not And he says, I hate that man. Literally. The point of that is you can always find people that tell you, hey, yeah. But as a church family, what I hope is we become a place where biblically we can help each other figure out those kind of things. Not on the world's impressions, not on other people's. And then the last thing, is it consistent with how God made me? 
Is it consistent with how God made me? You can discover a lot about God's will for your life by looking at how God wired you. Made you. I mentioned last week that we, for spring break, our family took a trip to North Carolina, went to Chattanooga, North Carolina, and we stayed at, at Ridgecrest. And so when I'm at Ridgecrest, there's just, uh, because of the place that I was called by the Lord in that moment to come and do full-time Christian ministry, it's just a special place for me. And so walking those grounds, the memories come back, all that kind of stuff. The prayer garden, I mentioned this, is not there anymore that I actually spent time in praying with the Lord and felt the Lord speak to me in that moment. But I think back to that moment and I think back to Habakkuk's life. And, and what had happened in leading up to that moment is I had spent several weeks reading God's word in discussion with one of my, my leaders in the youth group, talking to some friends, asking questions about, is this what God might want me to do with my life? I was wondering, wondering. And so I got to Centrifuge and I just made a determination that I was going to find out that week. Yes or no? Now went just like Habakkuk and Pulled myself away, wanted a spot in the prayer garden and found it where nobody else was. I prayed to the Lord. I sought him. I said, Lord, I'm going to wait on this bench until you give me an answer for your glory. It wasn't an audible voice because nobody else heard it, but it is as real as an audible voice as I've ever heard in my life. God said, you're going to serve me in ministry for the rest of your life. And I knew. But then I went... And shared it with some of my counselors that were also friends of my parents and had watched me grow up and raised me up and said, I just want you to know this. What do you think about this? And there was confirmation from them about what God was doing in their hearts about me, what God had said to them about me, how they had seen me. And then I looked and said, "Okay, how has God made me? And I was a guy that from the youngest age I can remember had no problem getting up on stage and talking for a long time. Just who I am. All right. I love this. I love doing it every week. I enjoy this. Some of you say you enjoy it way too much. We need to figure out some way to like settle down a little bit. I love it. It's how God made me. It's who I am in him. I've had multiple moments since that time when God has done the same thing in my life. And the truth is most of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, have moments where God is attempting to speak and change and direct your life. The truth is most of us in this room are searching for answers that God's already given. And we don't have to test them. We don't have to think about them because they are scriptural. And when they are scriptural, we just do it. If it's in the Bible, just obey it. People ask questions like, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Well, Scripture teaches us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? We talked about last week, the cross and how the resurrection from the grave shows God's love that isn't always pursuing love. That he literally went to the grave for you and rose again from it. What should be the priorities of my life? How should I live my life? And Paul tells us that everything in his life was rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And that he has now put everything else aside to pursue one thing. And that is knowing Jesus Should I share my faith with the people around me? Jesus told us that we are to go into all the world telling people about him, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that he has commanded us to do. Should I give in to sexual immorality, whether it's an affair or pornography online? Should I give in to that? Scripture tells us to flee sexual immorality. Should I spend my life complaining and criticizing all those around me? And you look in the Old Testament and God makes it very clear that his word and his people should be carried forth by people who are not 
people of critical, criticizing spirits. I mean, there are things we know the Bible teaches us. We're searching for answers to things we know. That we are to give freely and openly of all we have. That we are to be committed to His Word daily. That we are to be committed to His family and His church. That we are to love those who hate us. That we are not to be consumed by personal safety. But that we should be pushed by the kingdom of God and care more about it than our own personal safety or our family's safety. We should connect with the poor and disenfranchised and do all we can to lift them up. We should obey God more than do the status quo. We should humble ourselves. We should serve gladly. We should have a steady, passionate love for Jesus. We're searching for answers to questions that have already been given. The real problem with most of us in this room is not we don't know the answer. The real problem for most of us in this room, we don't want to do what we know to be true. We don't want to obey. G.K. Chesterton once said, it's not that so much that the Bible has been not tried and found to be bad, that it has been understood and it, people do not want to do what they think the Bible has called them to do. And that's the real question of our lives. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask that? Are you willing to say, God, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll do whatever the answer is. You young people that were here this week at Globe, God has spoken into your heart. He's given you some things to do. Are you going to do it? I mean, it's fun when you're here and you're talking about championship belts and you're driving go-karts last night and you're having a good time in your small group. And you're talking and fun. It's fun listening to me try to talk for 40 minutes while you're trying not to sleep. All right, I understand that. But most of you in this group, the Lord said something to you through a speaker, through an interaction with a leader. And the question is, are you going to do it? Are you going to go back to school tomorrow and everything's the same? Adults. When's the last time you even put yourself in a position to hear a word from the Lord? That you withdrew and you waited and you read his word and you just said, whatever it is, Lord, I'll do it. When's the last time? And then are you willing to do it? You see, part of the reason I think we don't hear from the Lord sometimes as adults as much as we do when we're kids is, A, we don't put ourselves in a position to, and B, the stakes are higher when we're adults for the changes that might have to come. The responsibilities are greater, the stakes are higher, and we think, God, I don't know that I'm ready for that. Are you willing to do whatever he asks? Let's pray together.